Hey everybody, welcome back to The Mound Visit. I'm one of your hosts, Tyler Goodrow, and with me as always is my other co-host, Chris News. We want to say thank you again for tuning in to the podcast, The Catcher's Only Podcast Show. This podcast is presented to you by All Star Sports. Please remember to move forward and rise above. We are set to take a mound visit with arguably the best defensive catcher in today's game, Austin Hedges. Are we ready? Get those pens and notepads out because this one is a definite note taker. All right, here we go. It's any number five. There it goes. Blanco will pop it up and Hedges back to make the spectacular catch. He'll turn it into a double play. How about that for Austin Hedges? Makes the grab on the pop up and from his backside turns it into a double play. Standing from Hedges. Runner goes. Swing and a miss for a strikeout. And the throw is going to be in time. Strike him out. Throw him out. Double play. Two down in the eighth inning. Nicely done. Runner goes. That's a ball. And the throw's a good one. And it's in time. Hedges has caught another would-be big stealer. Second of the night. Wow. Swing and a miss, and Pence goes after, trying to get the second is Crawford. He will be out at second base. All right. Welcome back to the mound visit, everyone. Today's episode is going to be an exciting one for us. We're in the fifth inning. Not only are we speaking to another big league catcher, but this man led the world in 2019 in receiving. So let's please welcome to our show the poster child or the poster man, for the excellence behind the plate, Austin Hedges. Austin, good morning to you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Pumped to be on the show. Thanks for having me. I was talking to Brian Watley, the new uh, San Diego Padres <clears throat> minor league catching coordinator, last night in preparation for this call, and he said that you tend to get to the ballpark early. He said he tried to get there about 6, 6 o'clock in the morning. He said, you are already in there. So are you a, are you a morning guy? The funny thing is I'm actually not a morning guy. Uh, I bet it's always been, been a grind for me, especially in spring training, to really get going. Um, but but I, I was lucky enough to have a lot of really good mentors in my career coming up that kind of took me under their wing early, my first few big league camps. And uh, one of those was, uh, was Yasmani Grandal. And he, when I was, I don't know, 20, 1920, uh, first couple big league camps and he was kind of just making just making it to the big leagues and he basically was just like hey listen like you know I'm the big league starter this is when I show up like you're gonna show up at this time you're gonna show up after me and I mean all he had to do was say it once and and then I kind of just kind of started learning a, a routine from him in mornings and ever since then um, I take that part of my spring training very seriously we can get more into that too but he was kind of the uh, uh, my inspiration, to at least at least then, because the rest the rest of the year in the off season and stuff, I have a I have a hard time getting up in the morning. <laughs> well, you're out in California, and and the clock shows here would be about seven forty where you're at. I, it's nine forty where I'm at. But uh, to get you go get your blood pumping and going right now, we're going to start you off with our rapid fire blocking drills. So what this is is just an icebreaker, just to ask you some questions at random. Just to, again, just to break the ice and get to know you a little bit in depth. So my first question for you is, is are you a fan of the new color scheme with San Diego? 
Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, I was sick of just wearing blue all the time. We didn't have two <laughs> colors. We just had navy. We just, you, you couldn't do a whole lot and make make your cleats cool, your batting gloves cool. I mean, the way – I mean, one of the things that, that wanted me – that, that, that made me want to be a, a ball player was I just thought the equipment was super cool. Catcher's <laughs> gear, cleats, batting gloves, all that stuff. And you can only do so much with one color. So um, I'm just glad that we got kind of a unique color for, for our city. That, that no one else has. I mean, there's plenty of teams that are blue or red or whatever, and now now brown and gold are, are, are San Diego colors. So um, I, I like them. So are you going with all yellow cleats then? Absolutely. I, I, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm rocking right now. I'm trying to, trying to keep my, get my feet ready to wear cleats when, uh, when hopefully we start baseball. So I've been, I, got, I got the all yellow cleats. I'm as loud as it can be. Awesome. All the, uh, the uniform combinations, all the different colors, you guys almost are like the Oregon Ducks for, uh, in the big league. But speaking of that, <laughs> speaking of that, how many, how many different color combinations of gear do you typically order for a year? Uh, I, I'm very it's, lucky almost like, to... it's almost like a game these days where there is, there's a, probably at least 10 different sets of gear for different days of the week, some guys are superstitious. How many? How many? How many is Easton send you? I mean, I'm not superstitious, but I'm just a little stitious. So <laughs> Easton, obviously, they do a, they do an outstanding job for me, um, and they literally have gear for, like you said, all 50 of our Oregon Ducks uniforms. So <laughs> last, I mean, so last year, last year we had we had a home blue and white. Well, I guess we'll talk about this year. So this year. I got a, I got a brown and yellow. I got a yellow and brown. Um, we have our old school brown camo, so I got gear for that. We have a new, like green camo, so I got that. Um, I've got the road gear because our road is like khaki now instead of gray, so I got a khaki and brown and yellow. <laughs> Sweet. Um, trying to think if we got any other ones right now and then players weekend they always do something sweet um then obviously you know fourth of july all those things um but i got at least just 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 for normal games home and away are going to be probably five or six sets and i couldn't be i mean and i couldn't be any happier that's but anybody when you when you're growing up you just want to wear all kinds of cool catchers gear <laughs> that's sweet um so today's draft day. Um, do you remember your experience and the phone call that you got on draft day uh, all those years ago when you were, were drafted? Can you walk us through kind of like your your experiences and what that was like for you? Yeah, absolutely. It was a it was it was pretty crazy two day event for me. So I was uh, the day one of the draft. I was at least projected enough that there was a a chance or what we thought was a good chance I was going to go on day one. So I was going to be first rounder. We had the, growing up in Orange County, we had the OC register, like, he's there taking pictures and stuff, and guess what, I, my name does not get called. So, <laughs> there's, I mean, he even writes an article, it's, it's one of the worst things I've ever seen, I'm like, moping around, like, I just look miserable, <laughs> not getting drafted, so, and then, not only that, that same day was our, uh, our high school baseball team banquet, so post, after the season, mm -hmm. like, everyone gets together, and I have to show up late because I have to stay and be prepared if I'm going to – like the draft was at whatever time and the banquet was like right during that. So I show up like halfway through. Everyone's kind of expecting like the good news, like, ah, they're going to celebrate. 
And I just walk in. I'm like, yeah, sorry, guys. Like, nothing happened. Oh, no. So, anyways, go to bed. And I literally, I get woken up the next morning. I don't know, maybe eight or nine o'clock by my mom. And she just comes in running, screaming that, you know, the San Diego Padres drafted you. And just like, you know, you're, you're, you get to stay home. Like, this is like, it could not have been any cooler of a thing. And, and, I, and, I, and luckily that it's worked out for this long because now, I mean, my dad gets gets season tickets and he drives down. And if I'm playing in the game, he's there. So it's I'm, I'm I feel very blessed and very lucky that that I get to basically play in my own hometown. That's pretty sweet. I love that. All right. So I remember seeing you up at Perfect Game Nationals in 2011. Um, but what what you weren't really on on that scene, at least on the on the East Coast. What travel team were you on when you were in uh, in high school? Uh, in high school, I played for a team called uh, Anderson, like the Anderson Bat Company. Um, so that's where I was doing like Junior Olympics and stuff there. Um, and we actually won the Junior Olympics, I think maybe my, my, my sophomore year out in, in Peoria, where, <laughs> yep. where we play, uh, where we have spring training. Um, so guys like, guys like Matt Chapman uh, were on that team. Um, I know I'm going to forget people, but... Uh, Pretty good team, Zach Davies. I know we were going to talk to him. Zach mm-hmm. and I played uh, played uh, travel ball together since we were like eleven. He would when he was when he was twelve, he would fly from Arizona to play on our little Orange <laughs> County travel team, and then wow. okay. that next year that team wasn't together anymore, and I would go to Arizona uh, to go play travel ball with him. And we even uh, we did a one of the coolest things. My my dad didn't come with me or my mom, so I actually went to Omaha with him uh, and his family. And we did a baseball tournament during the College World Series. And it was one of the coolest experiences of my life, just playing travel ball, you know, on the road, no parents, yeah. going, to, going to watch the College World Series at Rosenblatt. Like it was, the, it was the coolest, it was the coolest thing. Wasn't the name of that tournament the Slump Buster? <laughs> is that what it was called? I don't remember. Yes, it I, is. I remember There's we got one out there. place and I remember losing. That's all I... Oh. <laughs> I think if, if any 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 tournament name you, you don't want to put slump buster as the name I mean, any baseball guy's gonna gonna kind of know what that equates to. Right? but uh <laughs> I know right you see the yeah we're going to the slump buster I'm like oh my god I can't believe these kids are going out there but when you went to uh perfect game nationals okay so that that at the time was you know probably one of the biggest things outside of the Aflac games um in San Diego for a high school kid so that roster right there, you know, you were you were there with, let's see, Marcus Stroman was there. You had um, Lucas Sims. You had uh, Bregman. You also had a guy named Jameis Winston who was there. Did you get a chance to face him at all? No, I actually uh, – I, I want to say he was the – he was – I don't know if he was the year before or year after me because I must have been there – the guys, the, the guys that I remember are Javi Baez. Uh, mm-hmm. Was Lindor with that one, too? What's that? Lindor would have been in that class, Lind, too. Lind, Lindor was there. Jose yep. Fernandez was there. I remember watching yep. him pitch. It's pretty, pretty crazy to be playing against guys that uh, at that time and be able to look back and, and now, like, look at their faces and play against them in the big leagues. It's, it's cool to kind of, you know, just go through that process. What you know, not necessarily on the on the field on the same team, but but yep. playing you know playing against them in the minor leagues all the way to the big leagues, it's, it, it's pretty cool to be able to look back on. 
like I, I feel I feel very fortunate that I got to grow up in Orange County where in, in high school you, the the league that that my high school is in is called the Trinity League and it's it, it, it produces just tons of really good athletes really at any sport so just the level of competition was was very high so you know I at least when I when I get drafted and just turned 19 years old like I'm it's not the first time I'm facing a mid-90s fastball whether yep. it was at at the Aflac at at the uh um you know tournament of stars or area codes or just facing guys in the league uh or in in travel ball um I can't imagine like you know hearing and you know I, I talk to guys that 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 hit you know they're hitting 650 in high school and I'm like I mean we got guys winning the batting title in our league hitting 380 because it's, I mean, the pitching's really, really that good. So <laughs> like if I'm, if I'm hitting 650 in high school, like I'm, I'm in for one when I get drafted because yeah. probably I'm definitely not going to be hitting 650 off some of these guys. Absolutely. Well, the 650 guys are typically in the Northeast because they only play 15 games of high school because they're playing in snow and rain anyway. So ah, yeah. we've, we've had a couple, we've had a couple kids. I'm up in Buffalo, New York. So we've had a few kids that have, you know, kind of gone that route and, you know, struggle early on in the minors because they just, you're not used to it. You, you might see guys that throw maybe a couple of guys that'll touch an 85 and then you get the pro ball and you're, you're seeing nineties every day. And it's for an 18 year old kid. That's a huge adjustment. It really is. It really is. All right. So my next question for you, Austin is who was a catcher that you tried to model your game after? That's uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of people on that list actually because it's it's constantly changing. I grew up a Pudge Rodriguez fan. He's he was always my guy. Um, I was obsessed with uh, throwing guys out at second base when I was little. So I mean, so I definitely modeled a lot of my footwork, a lot of my throwing uh, after Pudge. Uh, then that kind of transitioned. Uh, my next guy was Yachty, um, and watching Yachty play. Um, then, then one of my next guys was Jonathan Lucroy. I feel like he was one of the best at catching the low ball. Um, and he was one of the first guys I remember that really dominated the bottom of the zone. And it was, and it was just something different about it. And I just remember just seeing something different. And that's just kind of what I do when I, when I watch baseball games, it doesn't really matter who's catching. I'm just, I'm naturally just watching what they're doing mm -hmm. and, I might hate what you're doing. I might love what you're doing. And no matter what you're doing, it's going to impact what I do next. Because, you know, if you do something that I think doesn't look right, it might solidify and give me more confidence in, you know, in what, what I believe in. And at the same time, if I see something that looks really good, it's like, hey, like, maybe I can kind of tweak some of this where, you know, like, I'd love, like, like if you watch Lou Croy catch the bottom pitch and then you watch Tyler Flowers catch the bottom pitch, it looks completely different. But both, you know, at different times are, are, can lead the league in, in, in that category. So, I mean, Tyler's one of those guys. Austin Barnes is one of those guys. Grandall, uh, Buster Posey, Real Muto. I mean, the, the list is from all the current guys to even post guys. I was watching Charles Johnson uh, growing up. So uh, that, that, that list is, is, is a big list because I could tell you, you know, a small detail of one of those guys' game that, that has really impacted my career, whether I'm even trying to do it like, like them or not. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's so interesting because us being instructors, 
we tend to use you, like I said in my intro, that you're kind of that poster child that a lot of people look at when it comes to, to catching the baseball. It's so impressive. One thing I want to plug in here is, again, doing my preparation for this, talking to Brian. He had asked a LA Angels um, cross-checker. He said, who did Austin Hedges catch like in high school? And he goes, he caught like Austin Hedges in high school. And he, <laughs> said, he said it was so impressive because – what you, see, what you see then and what you see now is just a little bit more mature, you know, as far as obviously at the big league level, you're learning how to call a game. You're learning how to prepare yourself for 162 and plus with the playoffs, et cetera. He goes, but what you, what you displayed in high school was what you see now even better. And you just continually get better. So I just wanted to plug that in there about that as well. So that, I thought Thank that was you. impressive. I mean, that's, 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 that's a testament to my, my high school baseball coach. He was one of my travel ball coaches before that and really, really close family friend. I'm the godfather to his son. Like, we're, he's family to me. But he, his, his name's Brett Kay. He caught, in, uh, he caught at Cal State Fullerton, All-American there, got drafted by the Mets. So he's got a nice pedigree. And when I was 12, started working with him. And I, I always loved the position, but he, he just – he knew the, the – he knew how to teach the fundamentals of catching. And I feel like through high school, uh, I, I just got, I just got, we just worked on the fundamentals and we worked and that's, and that's really what it came down to. He taught me how to, he taught me how to do it enough times or you just go do it in games. So um, a lot of kind of what you saw in high school and what I do now um, was even like talking about guys I'm mimicking. I was mimicking him. You know, he was the one showing me, he can't even hardly do it anymore because he's had like nine ACL surgeries. Okay. But even during then, he was still like getting down and showing like the technique of how it looked. And uh, even to this day, like if I was going to feed the guy uh, balls on a machine to block or receive, he just he looks incredible. And uh, it's just he does it with ease. And um, there's kind of there's an art, there's a poetry to it. And um, so uh, I think I was lucky enough to to be able to watch and learn from him. Uh, from kind of those really, those are really big years, like 12 to 18. I mean, that's, things are starting to get real, like, you know, travel ball into, into high school, like, you know, now you can maybe get drafted, you're going to college. So uh, that, so, so kind of what you see there was just all, is, is all a testament to him. So Austin, one of the, one of the things with, you know, when you first start off, you know, when you go from high school to pro ball, there's always the transition, you know, of, trying to figure out the game at that level and everyone I mean it, it, I remember it happened to me I'm sure it happened to you at what point or what year was it where you kind of learned how to calm your body how to relax how to stay how to stay just completely chill and just like nothing or was that yeah, I, always? it, it uh it took, it took a long time it probably probably double a I remember, I mean, my, my, my first full season in the Midwest League in Fort Wayne, I think I had like 13 pass balls. I think I had three on opening day. Like I'm just, I'm, nerv oh I'm nervous, so I'm cold. cold, yeah. yeah. I just, I don't even, I'm, like I said, I'm an Orange County kid playing in 40 degrees in Indiana. <laughs> like I'm, I'm not ready for this. And so I, I had to grow up big time in that league. You know, I'm playing with guys that are fresh out of, fresh out of college that are four or five years older than me. and that was kind of a, a huge part for the, my maturing process in this sport. Cause I'm now like, you know, everybody wants to fit in. Everybody wants to be liked. So 
I was forced to, I had to mature. I had to be able to fit in as a 19 year old with 23, 24 year olds at least. So uh, I think uh, as a, just a human being, getting to know them and trying to get on the same level as them helped me slow the game down because I, I was able to, I guess, just like you talked about, just mature a little bit faster, but probably not about until double A was when uh, I could consciously, uh, I think I had just done it enough where I think experience is a big thing. Like you just, you know, maybe it's the 10,000 hours. Like maybe I just caught enough at, at a certain level too, and maybe started understanding my pitchers more because the more you understand your pitchers, the more you understand what they're going to do, what their ball is going to do. And the more detailed that is, and the more you can slow that down then the catching part becomes a lot easier because I'm going to catch a pitch that I know exactly what it's going to do a lot better than I don't. Like my guys, even now that are super nasty, that they don't even necessarily know what the ball is going to do. I'm not trying to receive with them. I'm just, I mean, I might catch with two hands. Like, I'm just trying to knock the ball down, keep it in front, because all I know is, is if I can't catch it, they can't hit it. So the receiving part's out the window. I just need to keep this ball in front. So I think in, in the minor leagues, you kind of learn that because not, not a whole lot of guys have elite command like they do at the big leagues. So at the big leagues, like, you know, when I'm catching Chris Paddock, I know that ball is going to be put on a tee. But if I'm catching, you know, somebody in the minor leagues that's, you know, he might be 20 years old at a, at a high school, but he can throw a billion. He has no idea where it's going though. He's got nasty stuff. Uh, it's more difficult, but I think once you get to double a guys really start fine tuning and that's where the more polished guys are and they start understanding what they're doing. I think that that was my first experience of being able to kind of slow down and know how to do that. My last question for you. Austin is what do you think the future holds for you when you decide to hang up your shins man I mean I do I I think I think I do think about it pretty often um there there's there I I just want to I want to I want to impact the world in some way um I'm very very passionate about I think just just leaving leaving a footprint leaving a mark uh in in impacting the world in a positive way so um ideally I'm going to try and do that in, in a handful of ways because that's going to impact the most, the most lives. But mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, I'm not going to leave the game. That's for sure. I, yeah. I, I'm obsessed with the game. I love it too much, whether that's, whether that's coaching, whether that's, you know, at, at any level, like I could see myself, you know, if I got, if I got kids coaching little league, you know, I could go back and help out at high school, a college pro ball. I, I don't know. Uh, and whether that's, Managing, I would love to. I mean, I love the concept of, of of running a team, but at the same time, like like what we're doing right now, give me a group of catchers, and I could just I just want to talk. We could talk catching all day. Like I get sick of talking other spar other parts of baseball, but if you want to talk catching, man, that's all. That's all. That's all I want to do. So it's so at, at the very least, I, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be just. BSing with guys like you and just talking catching. <laughs> well, we love it. I, I just, the reason why I posed that question was because I know that you had done it. Like, I think it was an Instagram live and a kid that I train, I told him that we were bringing you on the show here. And he said, yeah, he goes, I was listening to that. And he went from probably what could have been just an hour to like four hours talking catching. So he was just like, yeah, you know, 
just be prepared. And again, plugging Watley's name in here, but he was like, yeah, Austin would talk catching for eight hours. So just, yeah, just be prepared. That's my, it's, it's my thing, man. So, so we, whatever else you got, keep it coming. Keep it coming. <laughs> do, you get, do you get a chance that when you go back to like uh, visit your old high school or do you do any, <clears throat> any off season camps for the kids just to kind of pass what you've learned along to them? Even if it's, yeah, even have, if it's for a couple hours. I have in the past. Uh, so uh, another, so actually I didn't even get to start catching in high school until my junior year because we had a catcher who he was actually still playing pro ball. He was with the, uh, with the New York Mets last year in triple uh, A. Uh, his name's Colton Playa. Um, and so Colton and I with our, with, with Brett K, we kind of did a, this was a handful of years ago, but we did a, we did a camp at J Sarah. That's our high school. Um, and it was basically just the three of us, uh, had some help from other guys too, but, um, each of us kind of doing our own, you know, today, I think we did maybe a three day camp and, uh, each day kind of everybody talked about something different. I talked receiving one day, then Colton talks receiving the next day. I talked blocking things like that. but. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm like, uh, last off season was, was, uh, was, was pretty busy for me. Um, I got, I got married, so, uh, it was, I didn't get to do as many, uh, things like that or, uh, that I, that I normally would like to do in my free time, but, um, um, uh, but camps, anything like that. I love, uh, um, you know, teaching kids, um, especially that, that, that love the position. If you want to get out and throw shin guards on and do blocking drills all day, then, you're right up my alley. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know if I could do blocking drills all day, but. <laughs> but talking that, I mean, yeah. listen, once you, once you figure out, you know, and you're always learning in the game, but they, Austin, they will, they will tell you this, you know, they're that phrase of, I wish I knew now what I, what I knew, what I, I wish I learned back then what I knew now totally applies. You know, with everything. Yep. So when you're talking, let's just take blocking, for instance. So, you know, you're, I would imagine you're kind of the same way. First spring training that you go to, you know, you're a young kid, you're trying to make impression. And, you know, it's like, I'm going to block every single ball out of every bullpen that I catch. You know, and you, you literally just beat the shit out of yourself and let the pitchers beat the shit out of you as well. You got, you know, the bruises, or we call them the, the Tell the young kids their baseball tattoos on your arms. They're not. They're not bruises. Those are these ones. You, you, yeah. I <laughs> say so you want to get those things, but they, uh, you know, blocking. For instance, when you kind of figure out how to relax your body, you know, and to beat the ball in the spot or anticipate, know where it's going to do, know where it's going to kick back, see the ball. I think the hardest issue growing up or, or developing into an elite guy is the fact of maintaining keeping your eyes on the ball when that ball's going in the dirt when you uh and kind of goes back to that you know when you got to double a was that when even blocking became a little easier you know i i don't have to put in as much effort to get my body in position and oh wow geez that wasn't that bad it was a little easier that way i i think i think so many aspects uh in 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 double a became clear just because the game got more detailed um, and in a way, I think that might have even helped the, the physical side of catching slow down because it was no longer, it was no longer the priority, you know, like, we'll like, we'll talk about, you know, I know with, with Zach too, like, you know, I, I learned that my relationship with him, the fingers I put down are, are the most important things. And so it, uh, at the very least, it takes a weight off your shoulders to just 
be this perfect physical player because the, that blocking is a lot of it's out of your control. You know, as much as you might want to keep your eye on it and have the perfect mechanics, that ball hits something wrong, kicks up. There's not literally nothing you can do. And you look like an idiot and you're running to the backstop, but you might've done everything you could do, but guess what? That was just one little thing that happened over the course of how many pitches did you call? You know, how many pitches did you receive? How many conversations did you have with your pitcher? So all these things, I think, started taking precedence over blocking, receiving, throwing. Mm -hmm. So I think that aspect definitely helped uh, at least just take the pressure off of if I let, I mean, if I let one ball get away from me blocking, like my night was ruined. Like I was like, I don't let one ball get away from me. I can live with it now if I know that I was impacting the game in another way, in a more important way. So I think that aspect definitely goes into it too. You missed that one pitch and everybody remembers that one pitch, but they don't recall the 15, 16, 17 strikes that you were able to turn that were borderline pitches into strikes, right? Or balls into strikes. So it's amazing. It's amazing to see. Um, let's talk about kind of some general preparation. Um, you know, we, we, we don't have a 2020 season yet. It hasn't started. Uh, what are you doing right now? Um, you, had a, you had a spring training. You had a couple months to prepare. I'm sure you're preparing even before that. You're about to, you know, after this call's over, you're going to do a workout. What does your preparation look like in the offseason, into spring training, and then what you do into a game? That that is, that is going to be a long answer. Good. I hope it is. Uh, <laughs> Get another so cup of coffee. We'll start with. You want me to start? We'll start with right now. So right now, at least. Yeah. Uh, right now, I do three things every day. I got some. So our strength coach um, has done has done a great job with me. Um, okay. So the three things that I'm doing right now, so are our strength coach. Uh, most of what I do. Uh, most of the drills that I do other in, than in spring training, which is um, quite a bit more volume and intensity, um, is speeding up my eyes. I'm always, I want to be catching and hitting things that are way more challenging than just hitting or catching a baseball, which is already the hardest thing to do. Um, so my goal is to just do whatever I'm working on. I want to be harder than, than what I'm actually trying to do. So the three things I use are these little mini, uh, orange discs um they're like i mean it's like a it's about this big uh like a little frisbee and um they're kind of difficult to throw at first but uh our strength coach uh has decided has figured out how to throw this thing and essentially he's probably 20 feet away from me throwing a little mini disc and the idea is uh first of all it's hard to see and he's throwing it hard and this thing can dance around a little bit but the goal is to not catch it with your whole hand I'm not trying to just catch the ball. I'm trying to catch every single ball like this. I'm trying to pinch. So this, I mean, that's, that's how I believe in receiving. I don't care if you're going to be flowers, if you're going to be barns, you know, two completely different things. The two things that both of them do that I do as well is you keep your thumb under the baseball. Mm -hmm. If you attack the ball underneath it and you keep your thumb under it, I believe you're catching the bottom pitch the right way. And so this is just, I don't care if I'm going to drop every single one. I, I actually do. I drop them all the time. It's, I actually, you know, I probably fail at it more than I succeed at this drill. Um, but I do a couple rounds um, of that, uh, making sure I'm trying to catch that ball or catch that little frisbee the right way. Mm -hmm. The next drill I do is a tennis ball drill that I've done for quite a few years now that 
one of our previous strength coaches uh, helped me come up with, he's the strength coach of the Yankees now. Uh, but it was, uh, we took a kind of a, um, a drill that Steph Curry would do with these, with these, the strobe glasses. Yeah. So the glasses would strobe and kind of just speed your eyes up. Um, and then, uh, then throw a ball from behind you. Uh, and so you can't really see the ball and you throw it off the wall and you receive it. I know there's some, there's some videos online yep. um, of that stuff, but that's, um, that's kind of just a, um, a staple thing that I just, I, I try and do as often as possible, even without the glasses. Yeah. Just if I can receive uh, a pitch that's coming from behind me um, that I can't even like time up and see, that's already harder than, than catching. So boom. Okay. Now once again, the other thing is I'm not just catching these. I'm not just, I'm not just snagging just to catch, which is hard enough. Like if you, you start out with this drill, if you're going to do it, if you're, if you're a young kid or something, like I would like catch it first. Yeah. And then, but challenge yourself to try and catch it the right way, whatever you believe that is. Um, then the next drill we do off of that is um, I tell him to throw, basically we call him like, like, the, like a, a tweener. So he's going to throw every pitch. I, I want it to be one inch off the ground. And if it's one inch off the ground, I'm going to try and receive it as best as I can. And if it bounces, I'm also blocking. So I'm on my, I'm, I'm and also to take the impact off of the, uh, a two-knee block, I've now changed, actually, see how it goes, but uh, I, I will be a one-knee blocker this year for the first time. Um, I always go to a knee, but I will be pre-setting a knee, and um, that's something I've been really working on with this. So I basically pre-set my left knee, try and catch the bottom of the pitch uh, that's about one inch off the ground, mm -hmm. and if it bounces, have the ability to just turn my glove over um, and be able to block that, and we're talking about probably – five somewhere between five and ten feet from the wall with sure. the with a guy standing right behind me so you have a you have hardly any time to decide receive and block if you can do that you can block and catch anybody yeah. um the next drill um to finish off the three parts that we're doing every day um the little they're like uh they're the soft jugs jugs balls they're it's it's yellow it's like a you can catch it with your bare hand, but when you put something on it, it's, it stings a little bit if you don't catch it the right way. Like it's, <laughs> and, and so the point of that, I used to do this drill back in the day when I was a kid and I remembered that. So we started applying it. Uh, in my opinion, you have to be, have the perfect combo of soft hands and attacking the ball to catch this ball the right way. And, and if you can, and you can put nasty spin on these things, they can dance like a wiffle ball if you want. Um, and you just get back there and we're probably about 30 feet away or so, like batting practice distance. And I just got a guy who's just chucking these balls at me. And once again, I want to catch it the right way. And if I'm catching these and catching these the right way with my bare hand, you throw a glove on and a real baseball, it's a lot easier. The next part is just like the tennis ball drill. Uh, is going to be the blocking aspect. So then after we just do a receiving part, now it's a read and react drill where if he throws in the dirt, I got a block. And then with this part, which I don't do on the tennis ball, I work on my block and receive here. And that's one thing I've been really repping right now um, that not a whole lot of people talk about is the, the biomechanics of the retrieve. Everybody, mm -hmm. we, all, we all talk about blocking, yep. but I want to be the best in the world at going from a knee to 
five feet in front of me. I want to be whether, you know, that's if the best in the world is a 0.17 seconds and then average is 0.23 seconds. It's, you know, minuscule, but we all know that that's the difference of safe and out. Right. So, or the difference of him going and not like in my, I don't even want you to go. The idea is to block the ball and have him just stay at first. Like we're not trying to just block balls and lure guys to go because honestly, it's probably not going to work out that well. And so with that, with this jugs ball now, um, I bought, I got these things on Amazon, these like painters knee pads. So I'm, I, I can basically just with those knee pads, I can do an entire block and retrieve, uh, block, retrieve and receiving drill without throwing gear on. I don't have a cup on, I don't have a mask on and I can do Are those the ones with the, like the big, big gel pad in the middle of it. Yeah, exactly. Those, those, <laughs> I've seen those with, those are freaking. I've, those look so right. those look so comfortable. They look more comfortable than the gear that we all use. Dude, they are sometimes. They, they, <laughs> they you know, for just they're just big, meaty, ugly looking things. And if I can do, I can literally do every single drill at a higher intensity than I would with a baseball because, well, and also without getting getting one of these bruises on your arm. So, <laughs> you know, I can do all these high high intensity drills. Um, that I think are even harder than just trying to block or receive a baseball yeah. um, and without the, the impact of the wear and tear that catching brings. So those are kind of my three things that I do right now. So that's how I'm preparing um, because, you know, other than for, for, from, the, from a physical aspect of the, of the position, blocking and receiving are the two most important things. Mm -hmm. So as long as my – as long as my blocking and my receiving are on point by the time we get going, I know I can at the least play catch up everywhere else just because, you know, honestly, they don't even happen that often. Like, right. you know, even, even the throwing aspect is, mm -hmm. it's really not that important anymore because if you're not Billy Hamilton, you're not stealing, you know, right. and, yep. and you're going to get, you know, if you catch a hundred games, you're going to get 60 attempts against you. If your pitchers are holding guys on well, you know, you might have one every other game, but, uh, Let's see, then the next part uh, to prepare for a game, uh, just from a physical aspect, right? So just from a physical aspect to prepare for a game um, is, is out in the bullpen. And it's just covering uh, one of everything, one of a little bit of everything. And that's something I got from AJ Ellis, um, who, uh, who's been an, an, uh, another just amazing mentor for me. Um, in my career and one thing that he got from from one of his mentors that he's passed along to me was he just didn't want anything he did in the game to be for the first time you know whether that's at least the main three things catch it block it throw it so I'm doing the main three things that by the time I catch the first pitch of the game I've received I've blocked and I've thrown at least a little bit and so that's kind of my thing I do uh, I do a little bit of a bare hand drill um, I'm actually going to start uh, applying some of those drills that I was telling you I'm working on now. Those will be a part of my pregame uh, routine now. Um, but it used to be just kind of a, a bare hand drill, a lot of finger work that I got from Yachty. Um, and he would do this basically catching a flipped baseball with individual fingers, oh. um, being very precise with how you catch the ball. Um, and then I do a block, and, a block and retrieve drill, and then I do my throws. It's very simple. There's not a whole lot of complication to it. I needed to be done in about in five minutes or less because 
you know, my pitcher's getting ready and I don't want to necessarily be out there super early wasting my, my intensity and my energy for the day. Um, it's something I used to overdo and I don't want to be tired going into the game. I want, I want inning one through nine to be my most intense I can be. I don't want to blow any of that. Um, I want to be prepared, but I don't want to blow any of that before the game. So there's kind of that fine line of working and preparing and not wasting energy. So it's very, it's very low volume, low intensity, but at least I've touched on everything. So by the time I go into the game, I've done at least a little bit of that. So I've got a question, a couple follow-ups. So <clears throat> do you have a vision training program that you do? I know you touched on using strobe glasses as well as using the little disc. Is there something that you do along with that? And then the other follow-up that I have is you said that you do you try to go above the game speed. So do you catch off a hack attack machine where you're throwing 105 mile an hour fastballs, um, throwing 98 mile an hour, you know, two seam sinkers from a right hander. Are you throwing, are, are they, you know, shaping the pitch where it's a 95 mile an hour slider? Like you're saying you're going above that. So I guess, do you do that in, in any capacity? Yeah. So, so vision training. Yes, absolutely. I've always done a little bit of vision training. Um, um, with uh, some of our, our team eye doctors. Um, but this past off season, I actually found a guy um, up in Orange County who does some outstanding work. It's called uh, Neurodynamic Vision, and NDV. Um, and he does some work with a lot of professional athletes. And it's, I mean, he's doing, he's, he, he invented a, a ping pong ball machine. And this ping pong machine is firing out pitches at, you know, 150 equivalent and, I mean, and you, and he's shooting it probably about every second and you do about reps of 50 oh, wow. and it's just eye training. And so it's a, there's an orange ping pong ball and there's a, and a uh, white ping pong ball, orange one, you got to catch with your right hand, white, you got to catch with your left hand. And it's literally coming out for 50. And I mean, I'm getting smoked in the eyeball. Like I'm terrible <laughs> at this at first. Like it's, it's embarrassing, but once you realize how to slow it down and really watch the ball all the way in, mm -hmm. um, there are, there are real keys and real, real ways to slow the game down and just catching things and watching things that are moving at, at that speed that are, you know, smaller and moving in more ways. Cause this, this ping pong machine can also create any spin. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that's kind of a part of my, my eye training is, is, is very important. And um, I just think it's something that's not necessarily um, utilized that uh, I don't think enough people are talking about um, this. Like, I, like the way that he even was talking about my vision. He's like, okay, you got, since I've been doing a lot of this eye training, I've got actually some, some kind of skilled eyes at some of this stuff. But the one thing he had a way of saying my eyes fatigue easier. So like I need to basically like, I can literally work my eyes out like a bicep, like your biceps getting tired. It's weak. And so like, it can literally build up your eye muscles. It's crazy. So my goal is to have the most jacked eyes of all time. <laughs> Meaty, strong eyes. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but, but like you were saying though, the, 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 the hack attack, the pitching machine stuff, that's, that's my spring training. So gotcha. ideally we're going to get going here soon. But what I was doing in February and March, um, that's where we really ramp up the, you gotta, feel, you gotta feel, at a certain point, you gotta feel a ball block. You know, you gotta hear, feel a ball hit your mitt. You gotta catch right. that nasty sinker slider, whatever you were talking about. And yeah, we, 
we fire that thing up. We try and, you know, inch our way closer to the machine. Things like that, I think, are just outstanding ways to speed your eyes up. And then, you know, when you're really preparing for a season, you, you, need, to, you need to feel the velocity of something really hitting your mitt because, I mean, I know the first couple of weeks of spring training, my fingers banged up from all our guys throwing them. Because <laughs> everybody throws 100 miles an hour now. So just yes. accept that you're – my left finger is permanently numb, so I'm just used to it right now. <laughs> Are you well, the, I got a question yeah. with that. So when we're doing – <clears throat> when you're doing your drills and say you're doing the balls off the wall and you're, you know, you're working on receiving it. Now everyone's done the tennis balls or the little bean bags and, you know, try to create, try to be soft with everything. But most of the time, a lot of guys are catching them like this with the whole finger. You can't really, I mean, when you put a glove on, you're not catching the ball here. You know, it's, it's between this space right here. So have you ever, you, do you use any type of, you know, training training gloves or that just to give you more pocket awareness saying look I want to simulate catching everything right here versus trying to get hit you know in the middle of my hand which nobody's going to catch the ball in the middle of their palm anyway absolutely yeah so if I'm doing uh if I'm doing like a like a uh a bare hand drill a lot of times I'll just hold a baseball I'll just hold a baseball with with my uh with my pinky and my ring finger because I think as long as these, these are the fingers that I'm talking about I I want to, I actually like, I think like, yeah, the pocket is over here, but I actually want my whole, when I'm catching, even with my glove on, my mitt on, I want my whole wrist facing, facing the pitcher. So I'm not catching this way. I'm catching, I'm catching with my thumb under it, not leading with it, facing it, like, you know, um, on the same line as the, as the ball is coming in. And that's what, and so like when I'm doing this, so that's why I start with those discs because the discs you've. You're forced if you catch it the right. You have to catch it like this because it's you know it's flat. It's flat. And you're not just going to grab at it. And then I try and do the same thing, uh, whether it's with the tennis balls, with the jugs balls. Um, I'm always. I'm never trying to grab it. So even if I don't have a ball in here, I'm still trying to catch the ball with my thumb underneath it. And I think as long as you're just going thumb underneath and not using, as long as you're basically using these three fingers, you know, pointer, middle finger, and thumb. Um, I think that I, I think to your point, yes. I think the one thing I do use is a ball. Now we, I've always used a, with the younger kids, as a as a stupid analogy, kind of illustrating the same thing, you know, because a lot of kids will say, oh, I'm, I keep my thumbs taking a, a beating. I'm wearing a stupid little pad. And what I always say is, when you're in that position, if your fingers are leading your thumb and you're catching this way, yeah, it's going to be exposed. So I would always tell the kids, imagine that you're kind of scooping ice cream with your thumb. You know, you're scooping out here, but when Absolutely. the ball hits, when the ball hits, it's more of this angle where the thumb is always in front of the fingers. So you can create this, that little pocket, that little, the little web that's going to come through where then the kids go this way with their fingers over the thumb and kind of pushing through with that. That's when the thumb's going to get, you know, stretched out, get blasted. And right. you know, once the kids start doing this, I mean, I think we all did it at one point, you know, your thumbs get, get beat to shit, you know, the first couple of years. And then you, you learn little things, you know, guys will tell you something and I'll, Hey, let me try this. And then all of a sudden it's, well, I'm not, I don't need to wear that pad anymore. You know, my thumb, it's easier no matter how hard or how much movement they got, as long as I'm still riding under it and I'm going into that space, it doesn't matter whether you're inverted at seven o'clock or six o'clock or five, you're still going to be able to get into position. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree with that. I think 
I think the hard part for, for younger kids who haven't physically matured yet is when you catch the bottom part, kind of like that curled wrist over like the thumb on top. I think that that's a stronger position for just your arm. Like if I was just going to, if I had to stick a pitch, you know, without, without it being the right or wrong way, just I needed to hold it there. I think that is a stronger position, which is why guys naturally do it because it's easier. The hard thing is you're, it is weaker to do this, which is what makes it harder, which is why you have to use more momentum to go do that. You're not just catching with just your hand and your arm. You can turn it over the top and just use this. Mm-hmm. But if I wanted to catch the ball the right way, like we're talking about, there's hips, there's glute, there's just, there's, there's even, there, there's just energy going towards the ball. So you can do that because if you just tried to, if I just tried to sit there and only use here and I'm catching a, a turbo sinker at, at 100, and I just try to do this, the ball's just going to knock my glove off. Mm-hmm. Like I've got to have something going towards that ball. And so I think that's just kind of like once guys start using, even if you're, you can be a little guy and still use that energy and whatever frame you have to go into that ball. Because I do think that just, it's, it's, it's easier to do that. So when you're doing these drills, Austin, are you, are you um, single signaling out your left side, like your left arm, or are you in a traditional type setup when you're using your body, when you're saying you got to use that force because, okay, you know, we're, we're, we're instructors. <clears throat> we see stuff on social media. I call it eyewash for some of the stuff because the common thing now to do with a lot of kids is just, just drop them to a knee. But it's, is it for a purpose that they're focusing on just their left arm? Why not? Are, are you on in a true uh, traditional setup where you're in on two feet when you're doing these drills? I'm a, I, I have, I have a dozen different stances and those stances are for myself and those stances are for my pitchers. So I practice constantly, no matter what I'm doing, I've got, I'm on, I got both knees off the ground. I got right knee. I got left knee. I got uh, higher chest. I got lower chest. I got, I got a hand, I got a, a bunch of different variations that are a better visuals for guys and be just better, more comfortable positions for me to at least execute whatever the situation is asking of me. Mm-hmm. And so I would just challenge guys to be able to do anything because the last thing you want is if, what if, what if you make it to the big leagues and you got, uh, and Clayton Kershaw's pitching and he's like, Hey, I, you can't go to a knee. I yeah. can't throw to you. If you go to a knee, it's just, it's, it makes me uncomfortable. Are you going to tell him no? No, you're going to be like, absolutely. Okay, fine. Like I'm about to catch Clayton Kershaw on the big leagues. I ain't going to a knee, but you're going to be a lot better at doing that if you worked on it. And there are guys that way that they may not tell you, but if you ask them, they have a, they have a way that they like to the, the, your visual to be presented to them. So it's something I, one of the first things I'm going to ask all my pitchers, especially during bullpens in spring training is like, Hey, you know, do you like me here on the third? Do you want me more black? Do you want me more middle? Do you want me higher, lower? And even if they don't know the answer, they'll think of the answer. They're like, you know what? I do kind of like you more on the, on the third. I want a little bit more plate. Um, I like your target more down, um, but I want a big chest so I can, you know, I can feel like I have more, more yeah. body to throw to. So those are just little things that I would, I would make sure guys uh, um, are working on. 
Um, but um, what was the, so what was the next part of that question? So I guess more or less like when you're doing your training drills specifically for you, just talking about keeping your body into it, oh, talking right, about right, working right. through it. No, 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 you're good. Talking about working your body into it because most of the time, like I said, you see a lot of these kids are just there and they're getting controlled by the ball versus controlling it. And so more or less, you know, I'm saying they're kind of, is it focusing on hand path? Is it focusing on shaping the pitch in a certain way? You talked about using your body to work through it a little bit, kind of get, gaining control, using your glutes, losing, using your hammies, using your butt, using your chest as you're working through the pitch. So I, I don't know if there's necessarily a follow-up question to that, but my, more or less, like, you talk about that. That works for you. It might work for pitch-specific. What are you telling yourself prior to the pitch, I guess, maybe moving more over to pre-pitch movement and then uh, attacking the pitch? What are you telling yourself in that situation? Yeah, that, that was exactly how I was going to, how I would answer that. So the first thing uh, is the, 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 the biggest advantage we have that I think not enough guys really, really, really grasp enough is we know what's coming. Mm-hmm. We get to call what's coming. So not only, so we, so, so the more we think into that, is so now communication goes into goes into this the better you communicate with your pitcher the more you will know through body language and through just there's just the telepathy that you have with your pitcher on the mound because you've talked about it at one o'clock so now at 8 30 when I call an 01 slider away to Nolan Arenado we already know what type of slider that is. Like we know like today we're throwing it for a strike today. We got to expand a little bit. So first of all, I already know, I should already know. So what I'm calling, what type of pitch type that is. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just assuming. So now, now my two, now my next two situations are, is there nobody on base? Is there somebody on base? If there's somebody on base, priority number one is that guy stays there. Mm-hmm. That guy doesn't get to go from first base to second base. So a lot of guys that talk about like not caring about pass balls and wild pitches. I, ha- I hate that. I cannot stand that. At the very least for hockey goalies, guys don't advance bases. Mm-hmm. So if there's somebody on base, priority number one is blocking. Well, actually, well, kind of, but <laughs> to make it easier, to make it easier, <laughs> to make it easier to understand, I think with nobody on, it's very easy. So with nobody on, I don't care if, every pitch goes to the backstop. I'm trying to catch the crap out of this ball the best way I can. So it's going to go into my pre-knowledge of what I'm calling. And then it's going to go into my assumption of where that pitch is going. And with that assumption is how my body prepares for it. So if I'm calling, say I'm on my, say I'm on my left knee and I'm calling a slider down and away to a righty, all of my prep is going to be prepared to move in the opposite direction of my prep so if I want to if this pitch is going down and away just a normal you know slider yeah I'm now preparing down and away to come up and in every 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 movement I have has the exact same counter movement with no matter no matter what pitch I'm calling whatever I want whatever I know that pitch is going to do I'm going to do the opposite uh, to make it suck everything up at the very least up and in. 
gotcha. because everything's coming from everything's starting in to a way. So I would use, I would kind of like on that pitch, I will kind of slightly load into my, into, into my right hip. So now my right hip is loaded simultaneously with my glove prep. And once again, this can be, this could be big, small. It's, 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 this is, you don't have to do, I don't, you know, like it's, it's, there's plenty of right ways to do this, but for me personally, to be able to get the hardest pitches to make look like strikes are takes more body because the weight and the energy of that pitch is going to take, it's going to take you with it. I'm trying to catch Garrett Richards, nasty 92 mile an hour slider just with my arm. Yeah. It's going to take my glove off. Yeah. But if I have some hip simultaneously, I think it, I would just pick a part of my body to go with my, from my mitt to probably my elbow. Those are, these are kind of my, I know my shoulder is going, but my, I try and maintain like a nice, I don't know, 45-ish degree angle, no matter what. That's, I don't want to be deeper. I don't want to extend. I don't want to, I don't want to stab at the ball. So if I can maintain that angle, I also want to maintain that angle on my prep. So I'm going to prep at that angle into my, into, for me, it's going to be like, it's going to be my right, my right hip. And then I'm going to, and then, it, then it comes down to timing. And then now, and now if I'm too early, I'm not going to catch it the right way. And if I'm too late, now I'm grabbing and I'm pulling it back into the zone. Either way, both are balls. Right. To be a strike, it is the timing of the elbow to glove relationship, that angle with your body moving. And, and, and then I think the next part is, is the head staying normal. A lot of times on the low pitch, our head wants to go down because once again, that energy takes us that way. If our head goes down, that's no longer a strike because the way I see it is if it doesn't, if you make it look like, if it doesn't look like a, how you would catch a fastball down the middle, it's a ball. If I, if I still have to work for it, it's a ball. Like you don't work for strikes. Right. So how can I make this nasty pitch down and away out of the zone? How can I catch that with the same ease as I would, if you, and this, it goes with sticking the ball too. Like I'm not going to stick and jab at a pitch that's right down the middle. You're going to catch it. You're going to throw it right back to the pitcher. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure every pitch I catch has the exact same tempo, I guess, of a fastball down the middle. Sweet. So I want to, again, follow up on something too. Again, you, you see a lot of different pre-trigger movements with a mitt. Now, talking about targeting with your mitt, have you had those conversations with your pitcher to say, hey, do you need a steady target with my mitt, or are you okay if I load my hand down, like we were just describing, down in a way to get around it, you know, uh, two or three straw balls off the dish back towards the plate? Are you using any, like you said, you use body momentum, you use hip momentum. Are you using hand momentum now at that point? Uh, yeah. So that's, that, that's always tough. That's a tough conversation to have. So I'll, cause I've had it, I've had it happen. Guys will even approach me first. I don't even, I don't even have to get to the conversation like, Hey, can you, you know, I just, I don't like your, your body at this angle. I don't like your, you know, I want to make sure I can see a glove. Like I remember earlier in my career, like uh, Houston street was catching, uh, was rehabbing a game. And if your glove was not just dead still 
very, very bottom of the zone down and away. He wasn't going to throw the pitch, but he would just he, – he could throw a ball on a, on a sunflower seed in your glove at will. So <laughs> that made that easier. But the, my, my argument to my pitchers would then be, absolutely. First of all, anything you want, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. I'm here for you. You are the most important thing. I am here for you. That being said, if you like more strikes, let me do it my way. <laughs> and, 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 and it's not, if, if, if you have, if you have, you know, if, if you have the numbers to back it up, then most pitchers should be like, you know what? I like strikes. I'm yeah. going to, or at least we work together. Like, you know, maybe I'll do a little bit less glove prep um, with him, but it's like, Hey, listen, like no matter what I do here, I like, I will get you, you will get more strikes if I do it this way. Right. And so I try and convince him that way. But at the same time, uh, if I, if I couldn't do that, uh, because I, th- there are times and in, in, in Brian Watley and I have talked uh, extensively about this, that there are, I think there, there are different mechanics of receiving for different umpires, different umpires see things in different ways, which is the, which is the beauty of having umpires. It's just like, it's a, it's a, such a huge aspect of the game. So you're not and, a fan of the uh, potential automated strike zone is what you're saying? Yeah, no, no, no. no. <laughs> I, mean, we, I, got, I got hours of, of comments on that. But, uh, I mean, that's obviously extremely biased. But yes, yes. Regardless, regardless uh, you know, this is something that's happened. We've had umpires for 100 plus years. So mm-hmm. now some umpires don't like big movements. If I if they see big movements, they're like, well, obviously he had to work for it. It's a ball, like, and I totally agree. The logic is there. But if I see a catcher really working hard, it's probably not a strike. You don't work hard for strikes, mm-hmm. you know. So how easy can you make that look? And sometimes you you can make it look easy with kind of big glove movements and big body movements. That is a way to do it. And I, my 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 two my two examples are always flowers and barns. I just I love the way they catch. Mm-hmm. And there could not be any more polar opposites. And so, like, I try and be kind of a combo of them. And then also there's times where I might go full flowers or full barns mm-hmm. because that's just the visual that the umpire likes. Like, there's games I can clearly tell, like, when I'm catching against these guys. And these guys are just absolutely out-receiving me. They're just blowing me away. And my adjustment should be to do a little bit more like them. And so – that's where like I would like if I was going to uh like if a guy didn't like that glove movement like you were saying I would be like all right I'm gonna do my best Austin Barnes impression right now (laughs) and I'm going to do very small glove prep and and I'm just gonna and I'm just gonna catch the bottom part because one thing that he does is catches the bottom part of the ball and like I know both him and I talk about it because I've taught AJ Ellis has told me he does the same thing where I want the pitcher to be able to see the ball in my mitt like if my glove is the right way, you should, you know, if it's over here, you can't see the the ball. So if he can see that ball in my mitt, that's, that's one thing that he does and I do too. Um, so that would be all I would focus on. I'm like, okay, real quiet, real small, present the ball to the pitcher. So, so Chris, you're on mute, buddy. I think he wants to ask a question. Yeah, there we go. So I, I had a question regarding that since you brought up flowers and the biggest, I want to say it's an issue, but. I know if I'm if I'm up to the plate hitting, and while the ball is coming at me, if my head does here to here, it's going to be extremely difficult to catch. So I've I mean I've seen him balls in flight and he's 
dropping his head down 12 inches because he's going from a traditional stance or a one knee to down in a almost sitting on the ground, kick the leg out. You said that sometimes I might do my my Austin or my um, my flowers impression. So when you do that, is I mean, I mean, kind of describe because if your if your head's moving while your body is dropping to a different zone while the ball's in flight, is that more of the eye training? Because holy crap, I yeah, I don't I'm not, know how I'm he does it. Maybe my maybe my maybe my best my best flowers impression would not be. Um, it's not like I'm just going to do exactly. Like I still have to do yeah. like my version of it. So my version um, of it probably wouldn't be as much head movement. Where he obviously has amazing eye skills to be able. Everything he does takes elite elite hand eye coordination and skill. So, but the way he does it is like the way that I see it. I'm just talking about probably more uh more of the body in the glove like when i the way that he uses his body from away from the plate to the plate and the same thing with the glove and then the timing his timing is precise in order to kind of snag the ball if you will like like he kind of at least it looks like he does you have to be so perfectly on time and talking about the concept of making every pitch look like it's down the middle tyler catches every pitch is every pitch the same it's incredible and so that's something that I try and do. I try and make sure every, whether it's this far off the plate or if it's right down the middle from the side, sometimes I can't even tell. And I think that's, that's the beauty of the art of that type. So I would just, if I was going to do mine, I would just do probably uh, two thirds of what I guess we're watching, which would be less head, but I would probably do similar body and glove preps and movements. What I see is with a lot of the, like if you take a, Take a nasty slider down the way, and borderline pitch on the finish. You're going to try to try to obviously make it a strike, but you you see the elite guys, yourself obviously included in this, where it's almost like you're getting your thumb to match the plane of the angle of the ball, and then just working in the opposite direction. So I think for a lot of a lot of that is just understand where the ball is going to be, and then work in the opposite direction through the ball without having to do the extra lockout or, or like you see the, the younger kids where they'll lock out and they'll, tw- you know, they'll, they'll hook the wrist in and think that that looks good, even though that's the most unnatural catching position ever. Um, I mean, is that kind of, kind of along the same lines? Absolutely. I think, I think any sort of uh, mind with body trigger is really, really good because, you know, if mine is my, my wrist or my elbow or my hip, Yours might be your thumb. Yours might be your eye, keeping your eyes steady. Like everybody's got their own different triggers for, uh, you know, we're trying to do the same thing, but you can really only focus on one thing at a time. I can't focus on my glove, my hip, my head, my eyes all at once while trying to catch the ball. But if my trigger was, you know, all right, mash the angle of the ball with my thumb, I can go execute that now. Yeah. So I think whatever your – figure out what your trigger is because it could be anything. You know, I go through ones every single day. Like – Today, I'm just more conscious of my glove than my body. So I just like that's just, it's, it's, it, it, and it's allowed to be a daily thing. So I think that's just what I would challenge them to do is to pick a, pick a, pick a body trigger to, to use. I want to go back into something that you said a minute ago about, <clears throat> well, and this kind of ties into preparation a little bit, but when you're preparing for a game, 
you have obviously the lineup, the pitcher that you're, you're working with, the guys that are available in the bullpen, et cetera. But do you prepare to, to know who's going to be setting up behind you as far as an umpire's concerned? Do you prep for that at all? Um, and the reason why I asked that is uh, about a week ago, I, I threw something out on, on social media. It was a split screen of you. One pitch, you're catching it and getting back to the pitcher as quickly as possible. And the other one, you're kind of sticking it and holding it so it's presented to the umpire. So your post-catch consistency was hold, and then the other one was get it and get it right back. And there were the same pitches, and they were a little bit off the plate. Um, do you have a preparation for, and this could be something new, um, for an umpire? Like, are you looking at hot and cold zones for them? Are you understanding, you know, are you having those conversations throughout the game? Um, again, you said you mentioned, you know, that you're watching how those other catchers are catching the ball, and are they getting more strikes than you? What is your prep in that sense? So we're definitely we, – we de every, everybody's got access to, uh, to heat maps, so at least we're aware of uh, – of what of what this umpire likes to call um mm -hmm. where his zone really is which is which is an advantage that everybody should be looking at whether you're a hitter or a um or a catcher or a pitcher just because you know i mean don't don't be surprised like this is the, there's there's a human there's a human element to to the sport mm -hmm. and that's one of the biggest ones is is the umpire player relationship and and what happens it's not it's not just this this invented square that isn't even you know, defined as anything accurate. So, uh, <laughs> so, so, so now this answer is going to be weird. So the, my determination of whether I'm going to catch and throw it back or catch and give a nice slight stick. We're never going to be holding it for, if you see me holding it for five seconds, that just, that's just me being, being a dick and showing up the umpire, which is just a <laughs> terrible idea. Don't do it. Don't recommend it. It's going to feel good in the moment. And you're going to be like, I showed him. And then every time that that guy calls a ball from now on, that's on you. And now your pitcher hates you. So don't do it. But there's, there's, there's every umpire is for the most part one or the other. Every umpire is going to be the quicker you get it out of your glove, the less time for them to see. And catching it the right way, more strikes. Some guys, you do that, they don't get to see it as well, and they call more balls. So then there's the guys where you – you give a nice hold and they go, okay, that is on the plate strike. They want to make sure there's, they want, they want a split second. And a lot of times you can tell, just listen to the cadence of how they, uh, of how quickly they call a ball or strike. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some guys that are calling strike and ball. I feel like before I catch it, then there's some guys that have that delayed one. You can even see as a fan, like you're like, some guys have a delayed strike call mm -hmm. and you're like, it's a, it's annoying. Sometimes you're like, come on, like call the strike. Those are guys that like they might be thinking about it a little bit. So that's something else to be aware of. You know, how long are they thinking about it? If they're thinking about it for longer, then technically I have more time to manipulate the pitch a little bit. Because mm -hmm. I can now hold it in, you know, every second I'm holding it, I'm not actually still, you know, I might be ever so slightly at zero miles an hour inching that ball back towards the plate. So there's those little things. Then the concept that that I that I came up with is what if a pitch is close, but I don't want it to be called a strike, I'm going to catch it the opposite way. My tempo of how, I, how long I hold onto the ball will be the opposite way of how I'm trying to catch a strike. So 
if I'm going to do a catch and release, if a pitch is probably three inches off the plate, I know it's a ball, I'm going to stick it to tell the umpire, this isn't how I catch the ball, but it's just like, maybe if I stick it, since I catch every strike like this, I'm going to stick it. I just want him thinking, maybe that's closer than I thought. I stuck it just for a second. He's like, ooh, he, rare, he never sticks it. By me never sticking should tell him, like, ooh, maybe he, he thought that was pretty good. So now the next pitch that's not three inches off, it's one and a half inches off. Now I just catch and release because he registers. If he catches and release, human aspect, strike, stick, ball. Now I'm going to go the opposite. If this is a guy I need to stick the ball on, I'm going to stick it. And when he sticks it, he's like, okay, I got a good visual. I'm going to stick pitches. I really, really actually want to be strikes. And if it's not close and he likes to think about it, I'm not even going to bother because I don't even want him to register those pitches. I only want him to register the pitches I want him to call strikes on, which are an extra probably ball. I just want another ball around the K zone. I just want – I can just have that. That's – now you're an amazing receiver. So whatever the opposite is, that's what – I'm trying to line up my anything outside of that one ball width around the plate. I'm just going to try and have that tempo and that timing be the opposite. That is freaking gold. <laughs> There's a reason why you were the 2019 uh, framing runs leader. I want to talk about some cues with you. Um, cues that you use, whether it's receiving, blocking, or throwing. Is there some things that, that you, those words that you just need in order to, again, just to feel super confident before you go back behind the plate or maybe it's during a game. Um, like a, like, 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 like a word, like a word, like a, yeah, something like that, just in preparation or something that, you know, you might feel a little um, insecure about something. And it's like, okay, what's, right. what's that word in the back of my head? That's going to bring me back to, to, you know, where I, yeah. feel I, mean, br I mean, br breathe, Breathe for sure. Always trying to be conscious of my breath. I'm, I try and be as mindful as I can be, you know, with, with, with my preparation before the day, um, just mentally. Um, and then obviously trying to maintain that through the game. But, um, you know, it's, not, it's probably not going to be too many physical things because I feel like the more I start thinking about uh, physical things, uh, that brings a lot of anxiety. That brings a lot of uh, almost panic, like you're – like, I got to block it. I got to block. I got to block. You're waiting for pitches in the dirt or, um, you know, I haven't been throwing very well. I got to make sure I, I get the ball out of my mitt. Like, I've, I've been bobbling balls. But um, I almost – I always have, like, like I think it goes back to, like, triggers uh, that I was telling Chris about where it's just, like, you know, for, for my receiving, like, this is my trigger right now. Mm -hmm. And that might be my glove prep. And for blocking, my trigger right now is – you know, keeping my chin down and really watching the ball all the way to my chest. And my trigger for throwing is uh, keeping my right foot inside my left foot and not getting around. And so I can have a nice line to second base. I think just making sure those triggers are good and then kind of drilling them before the game. So if those are my triggers during my receiving, blocking and throwing work for five minutes before the game, those are the only things that I'm focused on. If I'm throwing, I'm not focused on anything but that right foot. Or today, like, I'm not focused on anything but getting on top of the ball. Mm -hmm. Just things like that. So I think uh, it's not something necessarily that I'm coming up with in the middle of the game where I think that's how panic happens. It's yeah. whatever I decided to do 
Um, I'm going to try and trust as much as I can. Obviously, you know, can hit the fan pretty quickly and then everything goes out of the, you know, everybody's got a plan so you can punch <laughs> in the face. So ideally you, ideally I'm just sticking with it, but it can get difficult. So you talked a little bit about um, kind of your setups a little bit, as well as that you were revamping maybe how you were blocking or said you were going to go to maybe a one knee block. Um, did you revamp any of your stances? Is there anything that you've done um, in the past off season from 2019, looking back at that and then, what you were prepping for as far as setups, you know, reading runners out of the, you know, obviously you don't secondary, the secondary term I think has kind of gone out the door because not too many people, like you said earlier, you might have 60 steal attempts against you. Um, is there anything that you've done recently to, I guess, again, just to change setups, understand how you can throw out of a one knee position? Yeah, I uh, I thought I, I thought I knew so much about catching until I met Brian Watley, and then he was just <laughs> like, "Yeah, bro, you know hardly anything." So <laughs> I just I, I just any any second I could in spring, uh, while we were lucky enough to have him on the big league side, I tried to pick his brain because he he blew blew me away with uh, uh, his his just philosophy on catching, and not many guys can can actually like have a philosophy like a lot of people are like I'm kind of here and here and here like he and he challenged me to like I'm like why don't like I'm like I should have that I should I should have a, a something I stand by at least at least the basics of what I believe in and and um and and I'm glad I didn't really have that necessarily because he completely changed that perspective um and a lot of it goes into it goes into sample size. So when you think about it, the only thing that other than pitches thrown, the next two things that happen the most in a game of baseball is a pitch called mm -hmm. and a pitch received, pitch caught. And, and it's not even close. The sample size is it's not even close to any other thing that you can do. So it's like, hmm, okay, interesting. So why, like I was, I, like, I feel like things got confusing for a minute a while ago when I was like, Okay, guy on say a guy on first base. Priority number one is blocking. Yes and no. Yes, priority number one is not letting him get to second base because we don't want to give up free bases. But also, priority number one is winning a baseball game. Yeah. Priority number one is getting twenty-seven outs as quickly and efficiently as possible. So maybe being in a position to really, really receive well is more advantageous with, with, with the chance of maybe not being as, as ready to block because that's been a big thing. Like in my opinion, the way I've been up until this year, the way I've always been was if there's a guy in base or there's two strikes on a hitter, every pitch is already going in the dirt in my mind. I'm not even thinking about anything else. Like I'm just, I'm never surprised by a pitch. In the dirt. I'm not necessarily blocking fastballs, but sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm not even surprised by that. Like I'm just, I'm assuming the worst because anything less than that is going to be easier. So the, after talking to, to Watley, I'm now, I now realized how I was, I was kind of loud with my blocking, and that was a product of that anticipation of that ball being in the dirt. And then it kind of caused me to be a little bit louder with my receiving with men on base. And I always go to a left knee on off-speed pitches uh, with guys on base. That was, that's just how I receive as my kind of trigger preparation to block is my left knee. 
And so we're basically like, all right, why don't we just get that move out of the way and just start on the left knee? You know, we can figure out how to throw from there, which was much easier than I even anticipated because I hardly do. I don't do any, uh, I don't do much knee throwing other than back picks. Mm -hmm. Um, But learning that made things a lot easier. And then the next part was the impact on my knees. I mean, I, the way I block, by the time I'm done with my drills, just the meat of my knees are just beat up. And when you're talking about preparing for 162, you know, whether you're, whether you're catching 70 or you're catching 140, like you're still just like that much intensity and blocking you can't do. Like, uh, like, and then I start watching Real Muto catch. Like the guy won the gold glove last year and he does a lot of one knee stuff and I watch him block and there's, there's such an ease to it. Um, and there's not this big impact of hitting the ground. Yachty does the same thing. Yachty is one of the quietest blockers. He just sucks the ball in and it, and the ball goes nowhere. And how I just loved how quiet he is. And I'm like, man, like there's just watching him catch him. Like there's no way his knees hurt. Like my knees hurt after a day of blocking or even just a, you know, in spring training. Cause I know for a fact I watch and I've talked to enough guys on how much he works, you know, Yachty's blocking and receiving every day, but he's not doing all this intensity on him. He, he does it with such ease and such fluidity. I'm like, okay, that's how I can take my game to the next level. And so I started working on it. And, you know, I, I haven't done it in a real big league game. I've done it in a big league spring training, but I haven't done it in a real big league game. But I'm, it is I, – I, I wish I'd been doing it my whole career. It is it's, – it's, it's, it's easier. Um, it's, it's, it's more it's, – it's, there's a more of an ease to the catching with, with uh, kind of the one knee mm-hmm. – philosophy and uh i i'm all about it right now and if you asked me at the end of last year you know if i'd be changing a whole lot i'd say absolutely not like i just feel like i i feel like i just dominated the the position and had a, and had a really really good season uh defensively like why would i why would i go change and 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 the way i see it now is like why wouldn't i why wouldn't i try and get better and better and better and better and so um that's kind so of when you I'm were when you were blocking and you were saying how um, you thought that you were being a little loud when you were blocking, were you, were you more of a kick out guy where you were putting a lot of pressure down on your knees? Yeah. Or was it just kind of in my stance and let my, let my knees kind of come forward, you know, not so much shooting out and gaining ground, but just the, just the direction of them instead of them having go from here straight down vertical, Versus just kind of falling into the ball a little bit. You know, yeah, I, I, I could never fall little... into the ball. I wanted to basically replace my knees. I didn't want to give too much so the ball didn't bounce up too high. But I didn't want to attack the ball because I didn't want any momentum going into the ball. I wanted to. I want to be a. I want that ball to hit my chest and go right straight down. And I feel like if I if I go anything less than replacing my knees forward. I think that's just some momentum hitting the ball and the ball might kick farther than I want. Uh, but I think the, the, the main thing that I would do with that, I've always been an advocate for block. I block with my glove. Like my hands, I'm still an in, I'm basically an infielder uh, with the way I block my hand. Your body follows your hands. So if I'm going down, I'm going straight down. If I'm going right or left, my, my hands, my hands are going first and then my body is following. So at the very least, if I'm blocking over here to my left and my body can't quite get there, I'm still trying to be athletic enough to, 
just make an infield play in a, you know, funnel it, scoop it, have it hit something and yep. keep it somewhat in front. So I'm always just, so that I think with the two knee block, I was way more, I was using my hands a lot more. And I feel like with the one knee block, um, I could use my hands in a different way where there's mostly on pitches outside of my body. And I can do a much quieter job of blocking the pitches you're really supposed to block because I think there's a, there's a, there's definitely an argument for if a pitch is outside of your shoulders, should you block it? Mm-hmm. And I think the answer, you could argue either way. You could tell me if you can get there and you got that type of range to block, go for it. It's, <laughs> I, I try and do that. Like just cause I'm stubborn and if it's in the dirt, I'm blocking it. And I've, I've had that beat into my brain for my whole life, but kind of this new thing with one, with one knee, uh, there's no reason why, you know, if, if a pitcher's – that's a bad pitch. Yeah. That's a really, really bad pitch. If it's outside of my shoulders in the dirt, like – and there's no reason why we're not athletic enough to be able to pick that ball out of – you know, what, what's going to – out of 10 pitches right there, which one are you going to prevent the guy from getting the second more? Trying to block it or trying to pick it? Trying to pick it might not look as, as good, and people might call you lazy for not trying to block it, but out of 10 pitches, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I don't know what you guys think, but the answer is for me is it's probably pretty close. So yeah. whichever one you're most comfortable with. What do you do as far as your um, as far as your chest? I mean, are you are you just letting the ball absorb to you, or are you kind of creating an angle over the ball so when it does hit, it'll be more forced down versus kick out, and then you have to obviously go up and go get it. It depends where the ball is bouncing. So a big thing with with, with reading that ball in the dirt. My, my blocking technique on a ball that bounces three feet in front of me is going to be different than the ball that bounces six feet, six inches in front of me. So that ball six inches in front of me, like ideally I want every ball to hit me in the gut. If I can hit that, if that ball can hit me in the gut, I'm in good shape. So I'll even on a pitch in front of me, I will even come up to try and get that ball to hit at least lower on my chest. If a ball's bouncing farther in front, that's going to bounce higher. And the, the big league dirt is a lot easier to block on than the minor league dirt, than the little league dirt, where the balls might take bad hops. We're, we're lucky enough in the big leagues where the balls kind of hop the way they should. So that's, a, that's another thing that's different where I wouldn't necessarily advise coming up on a ball on, on some dirt surfaces that the ball just might stay down because the last thing we want is for the ball to go through the final. Yeah. But I just think in your drills of blocking – you should be challenging yourself on the distance of where you're blocking that ball because I mean I've blocked balls that bounce five feet in front of home plate and I've blocked balls that are one inch in front of me and both of those I think are different mechanics. Um, and it, at the very least, just trying to I'm just trying to read the hop, um, like in a way like like I was watching the I was watching the Last Dance, the mm-hmm. Jordan documentary. And Dennis Rodman's talking about rebounding and he's talking about guys throwing, having people throw balls off the rim, the different spins. Like it's, it's very similar with blocking. Like both happen very fast and it's a, it's a, it's a rebound effect. And, you know, Dennis Rodman seeing the spin of where that ball is going to go. That's what we should be doing in, in our blocking drills off a machine and in bullpens. You should be just seeing, okay, when a ball's spinning here, when a ball lands here, when a ball lands there, when a ball lands there, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this, because it's not always the same. They can have the same fundamentals, but, you know, it, my chest might be, is going to be higher for sure on a ball farther out in front of me, and it's going to be lower. 
there in my hands, might be doing different things. So to answer your question, Chris, is it, 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 I think it, like, I'm not, I'm not going to say like I'm a chest down guy or a chest up guy. I'm going to say I'm, I'm actually both. When you do that, is your, whether you're coming up, lifting up a little bit or coming down, are your shoulders more back so you can create a bigger area for it? Or, or those kind of where you, you know, what we were all taught when you were younger, how to curl them in there. And then your uh, forearms go in front and you get blasted. More this way, but not, not that extreme. But definitely yeah. like the, the idea of as it's hitting me, like a, <clears throat> some sort of aspect to, to I, I not only when I, I want to block the ball where I want to tell that ball where to go as often as I can. Obviously, it's not going to happen every time. But if this ball's hopping up, like I want to like, I want to impact that ball to go from here to here. I'm not necessarily going like this and just letting it hit me. And I'm not just going here so it can just go anywhere. I'm trying to almost, if the ball is going here, I'm almost trying to like, I might even kind of do this, just hit it with this shoulder. So it at least just goes that way. Yeah. At the very least, I just want the ball to go straight in front of me. I don't want it to go to the right. I don't want it to go to the left. And at the, at so the almost, very, almost like oh, when so a guy I definitely don't want it to go to my left. Ball goes to my left, safe at second. Yep. That's another thing. Almost like when a guy punches you in the, you know, you, someone comes up to you in the locker room, they go to fake punch you in the gut and kind of do that little, that little exhale flinch. Yeah, you know, exactly. That little you exhale, oh, that's even, that's even better. That's one of the hardest things ever to do is to exhale while a ball's hitting you. Mm -hmm. But if you can, you're definitely going to be softer. Going back to the setups and everything, <clears throat> I wanted to ask you, you know, you, you said you're starting to become a little bit more open-minded to setting up on a knee and whatnot. You have any hesitations as to something that you say, well, I might be sacrificing this. We, we all understand the positives, I think, of setting up on a knee or catching on a knee or getting to a knee. Do you feel like you're going to sacrifice anything if you do that? No, not even a little bit. I have the opposite of hesitation. I can't wait for it. All the, all the concepts that I have talked to guys about mm -hmm. are spot on. I think it's, uh, you know, just the, the visual for the umpire and the way that they use our body um, is something I've always been aware of and thought about. Um, but there's some, there's some next level things with, with the angles, which knee you're using that's up or down. Um, or, or not using, uh, or not going to either knee. Like there's a, there's a clear, uh, and precise reason. And, uh, and I, you know, Brian was able to kind of walk me through those and it took two minutes of explanation. And I was like, no, that's, that's right. I, I'm upset that I didn't know that before. <laughs> do you, uh, do you feel like <clears throat> you're more comfortable i know you said something about dropping to your left knee do you feel comfortable enough to catch with a right knee down i catch i won't block though okay so so as of right now going into the year i will be with nobody on i'll be left knee down on my right side of the plate mm -hmm. and i'll be right knee down on my left side of the plate with nobody on with guys on base i will be uh doing my version of a one knee receive and block um only on my left knee okay but you're always both 
Uh, the, I was gonna, I was gonna start about that. What I was gonna say when you're away to a lefty and you're going right knee down, are you angled more with your shoulders, yeah. or are you still as square as you were? Okay. I'm I'm def I'm definitely angled. Um, I'm I'm angled. At, well, I'm I'm angled on both sides. Mm -hmm. I'm angled. I'm angled the exact same uh, on 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 the right side, which is a little bit more awkward. It's a lot easier to be staggered uh, away to a lefty than than away to a righty. Right. Um, but definitely more. I'm not. I'm not at a at a severe angle. Um, I I definitely want to have my full chest still kind of facing the pitcher, but that angle is just such a that angle is such a real thing, and it just goes into how you're going to receive the ball. That angle just helps it be presented out on the plate. So how about with your left knee? You know, are you afraid of having that left knee cause you not to get so much extension to your your arm side? at all or are you inside of your knee no no not not even not even not even a little bit um and I, and i and i think like 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 so many things in this sport whether it's hitting in your approach it's game calling uh you got to give something to get something mm -hmm. you know just be you know at, at the the advantage of the one knee um is obviously not going to be as athletic as not being on a knee if i was just in a normal old school catcher stance, I'm definitely in a better position to catch these crazy pitches that I could go dive for. But it's like, I'm completely okay with giving up the worst pitch in baseball. Like if my pitcher threw that, like he knows that's, he knows that's on him. And that's, <laughs> he, and he also knows that I'm in the most advantageous position to catch what he's trying to do. We're not trying to be prepared to be great at what we're not trying to do. We're trying to be great at what we're trying to be great at. And if he's trying to execute pitches, then I gotta be my best for when he executes. If he doesn't execute, then that's just a ball, whatever. Yeah. So I'm completely willing to give uh, my range uh, of receiving at least arm side um, on a knee, just as the occasional time I'm willing to maybe not block as well as I would receive given the, given a certain situation. And I'm still kind of playing with that in my head because I haven't done that at the big league level. Um, but after talking to, after, you know, continue to talk a lot with pitchers because I'm, you know, I'm definitely not gonna do something that they're not comfortable with, with me doing, but um, there's definitely a time and place. So I know that we're going to bring on Zach Davies as well with you. And we're going to talk probably a lot about that relationship, pitcher-catcher relationship. I want to talk about your game prep as far as pitch calling is concerned. You know, is there a mantra that you kind of live by in terms of this is how I start my day out in preparation for, for the game at hand? Yeah, so my, so my, my prep game, game one of a series, the long day. Game one, you're preparing for – every hitter against righty and lefty. Um, and then you're preparing for your starter. Um, you know, games two and three or game four um, are going to be much uh, easier days just because you're just basically preparing for, for who's starting that day and you already have your, your information. Um, but the two things that I'm looking for, another thing I learned from AJ Ellis, who he's one of the, he's renowned as one of the best game callers. Um, <clears throat> we're going to minimize walks and we're going to minimize slug. And that's it. Go ahead and single. Go ahead and hit a single. 
go in and try and hit it. You're going to hit at least three to score. Mm-hmm. A lot of times four. When's the last time you saw four singles in one inning? You know what I mean? Right. Like I try and tell all the pitchers, I'm like, hey, listen, singles are a win. If you execute your pitch and they hit a single, I don't want you to – not only do I want you to be di- not disappointed, I want you to be like, hell yeah, I won. I won right there. And that's okay. It'd be like it'd be like it'd be like it'd be like me taking strike three looking on a pitch that was a bastard pitch, but it's a ball. It's like I have to suck up my pride and know that the result wasn't what I wanted, but the process was right. And over the course of 162 games, the more borderline pitches I take, I'm gonna have a better season. Just like if I just if I just give up, if I don't walk anybody and I don't give up any doubles and homers. I'm going to go, I'm going to bet that as a pitcher, I'm going to have a really good season. So when I'm looking for numbers, that's what I'm looking for. So the main things I'm looking for, OO, one behind in the count and two strikes. So how am I going to get ahead of you? How am I going to, what, what's my pitch that I have? Uh, my one pitch is like my pitch for effect. That's like my, you know, I can throw a strike if I wanted. I could, expand and throw a ball for effect like in off to maybe move your feet um i can maybe throw a high fastball to you know maybe try and throw a curveball off of it like i've got options oh one is the most options you have because you can still throw a strike and you can throw a ball on purpose for effect where um all the other counts like i'm behind the count i gotta throw a strike if i got two strikes especially oh two one two that pitch is not in the strike zone in my opinion 90 percent of the time plus a pitch I needed to be competitive, but I don't want it to be in the strike zone. So those are the four th- the four counts, if you will, that I'll be preparing for. And then in each of those counts, I basically will come up with for each pitcher my fastball option lane and my off speed of choice. So I'm catching Zach Davies, he's fastball, curveball, slider, cutter, changeup. For all four of those situations and counts, uh, let's call it OO against. Justin Turner, Zach Davies is going to be fastball down and away, curveball. 0-1, he's going to be fastball in at the hands, changeup. Behind in the count, he's going to be down and away, changeup. And two strikes, he's going to be up and away slider. I don't know. Just one of those. But those are like my – those are my bullet points in my head that I automatically have memorized, done. Then, obviously, the feel of the game happens. And that doesn't – it's not a guarantee. It's not like – Every OO pitch, he's getting one of those two pitches. But those are what at least the numbers show me. So I have a game plan going in. It's at least how we're going to attack you the first time. Mm-hmm. Essentially, all we're preparing for is to how am I going to get you out the first time? The adjustment should be made. It's the, now the hitter's turn to make an adjustment. The next, the rest of the game. But the first at bat is just like the, it's the first quarter of the game. Football team, they got a script of 10 plays and they go down and score a touchdown. And then they don't score again the rest of the game because the team made an adjustment. But we should have the game plan going into the game just like that. So that's how I'm preparing for to get you out once. And then every single inning, I'm talking to my starting pitcher or I'm talking with my pitching coach or other catcher about how we're going to now get these guys out the next time. Got a new pitching coach in San Diego in uh, Larry Rothschild. Uh, How much time have you spent with him and talking about it? You know, he spent many years – in New York um, with a bunch of different power pitchers and, and guys just with nasty stuff. What are, what are some of those conversations like for you in spring training with him? 
Yeah, he's he he's been uh, he's been outstanding. Um, I was I was very fortunate to have Darren Balsley in San Diego for for my whole career. Uh, he actually was he 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 taught me how to how to prepare for games. So um, everything I learned from him on how to get guys out and watch video um, all came from him, and he was just an outstanding mentor for me on that aspect. And the greatest part about Larry is Larry is very similar to Darren, and they both prepare in a very similar way, and they're very detailed about how they're preparing. Like if you could if you could see uh, you know, a scout report that they come up with. It is, I mean, the things that Larry was showing me from, um, you know, how he was preparing to get the Red Sox out. Like, obviously, like, that's a, there's a lot to go into getting nine all-star hitters out. Like, it's very difficult. So the, the amount of detail put into it, the amount of time put into it, um, and the, the game recall that he has, um, I mean, he's just an extremely, extremely wise baseball mind, not just pitching coach. Just, I mean, the guy managed. Like, the guy is just a – Larry Rothschild is, has absolutely blown me away. I'm, it's too bad we haven't got to have the, this full season together. But I'm dying to get him back out um, and, uh, and win some ball games with him because he's a very, very wise baseball mind. Are you an analytics-type person? I mean, you, you, you said, I think you talked about looking at heat maps earlier. Um, are you an analytical-type person? Do you look after each game – um, or a couple games later about what your heat map looks like um, as far as how you're receiving the pitch as well as, you know, um, again, talking about scouting and preparing for a game and planning for, a, you know, a four-game series, three-game series, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I am. And even if I'm not, I'm having it presented to me. It was funny. Believe it or not, last year, because of game one of the season, nothing, I, I could not get a strike. Game one of the season, everything was a ball. And for about two weeks, I was dead last in the major leagues in the season because of it. And so, like, I got, you know, plenty of coaches coming up being like, hey, man, you're supposed to be good at receiving. Why do you suck? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think I'm doing good. Yeah. And then we kind of figured it took some more digging to figure out what happened. Um, but you definitely got to know because, you know, God forbid, I like that's just what happened. Like, I could go into this year and everything I'm doing isn't working. Yeah. I got to make an adjustment. If my heat maps are terrible and this guy, this guy, and this guy's heat maps are great and they receive pitches in a certain way, I'm going to go rep that way. I, I got to. I, I don't think it's going to happen. But if it did, I'm definitely going to try and be as aware of that as possible because because um, otherwise I'm just hurting the team. How about from a throwing perspective? I know we've touched on a lot of receiving, blocking, pitch calling. From throwing, do you have a specific program you do in the offseason? Do you do something? You know, I know we talked about how minimal the, the run game is and has become. And, you know, they're talking about Major League Baseball, about instituting, um, you know, the pickoff rules and potentially stealing first base and all this garbage but how about from a throwing side uh, what's your preparation look like that do you do you know the weighted ball throws we just had a guy on on the show um just yesterday as a matter of fact um dave coggin who who runs um chris you're gonna have to help me with the name was it performance or something performance <clears throat> it's pfa out in uh, and he's a he's a socal guy um you know dave played a couple years pitcher with the Phillies and he's been he's been training 
pitchers for the last 11 years, got a bunch of guys that are in the big leagues right now that, that work with him religiously. Um, yeah, go ahead, Ty. Yeah, but do you, do you have anything that you do specifically, Austin? Yeah, so um, I do a little bit of weighted ball. I only do one of them. I do the, uh, the seven-ounce ball. I really I, – that one just – I do, like, at least right now, like my throwing program right now, um, since we're expecting to play soon, um, I'm throwing five days a week. Um, and that's looking like um, – sometimes it's three days of, 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 of the weighted ball and two of regular catch play, and then sometimes vice versa. Um, but the main thing, I don't do a ton of throwing in the off season. Um, I use kind of spring training, um, to get my arm loose, um, or really more in shape. That's also a luxury that you have once you have a job, um, you know, earlier in my career, you know, you, you're, you're coming into camp ready to go. Yeah. Um, but as of now I do, I've, I've gotten done less and less and less throwing, um, just to save my bullets. I, I just want to be. I just want to have those. I want those. If I, if I got 60 stolen base attempts on me, I want those 60 throws to be my best throws. And, you know, you only got something like look at arms right now. Like you only got so many bullets. So I try to be smart with that. But the one thing that I really do believe in every day before I play a game, I, I have a very specific catch play routine. And um, it's kind of similar to the way uh, the Jaeger and the, the Jaeger bands, he kind of had a, a long toss program and um, I've basically done that my whole career I do it's very very easy with a ton of uh, a ton of air underneath um, as far back as I decide to go it's probably usually 200 feet maybe about 200 feet with a ton of air there's a ton of air and it's very easy it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to throw a ball in the air and I really love the feeling of getting that extension and feeling a ball backspin and then I just really feel I'm spinning the ball in the air. And then when I, once I get to my max distance, then I just slowly work my way in with everything on a line and some crow hops until I get to about 130-ish feet. And I do a couple, uh, just how I would do like a footwork to myself uh, throws, just, just making sure I'm getting carried. But it's a lot of air and then, and then back spinning hard. So I'm at least making probably about seven or seven to 10 good hard throws with some mm -hmm. oomph on it uh before the game and you know if you're playing um close to every day that's kind of that's I, I haven't really had too many arm problems since i when i do that there's a lot of um you know block training that goes on when you talk about doing or working on your throws right so you have somebody that might jab step forward somebody might be right foot replaced is there some kind of, uh, again, cue or trigger that you, you try to do when you're just working on transfers and footwork? Yeah, so there's a handful of points. First point is, 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 that, is that right foot. So that right foot has to be inside my left foot. Has to be inside my left foot. If that's there, I know I'm going to be online because I want every throw to be over second base or to the right side of it. No throws are to the left side, safe. 100% of the time, worst jump in baseball, slow fat guy on the team, safe. <laughs> Up the line, though, to first base, how many times have you seen a terrible throw and the guy was probably going to be safe anyways, but the throw up the line tags him on the foot, out. Right. So that line is non-negotiable. That line has to be that way. Then we're staying low. Got to stay low. Like, I, I almost sometimes feel like I'm throwing from – my stance like I'm not coming up at all 
when I stay low, it's, I think it allows my arm time to get under my feet to get under me. Mm-hmm. So I'm staying low. And then the next part is I always feel like there's someone behind me pushing me forward. So that's my, that's, that's one of my main things. When I'm about to go get the ball, first of all, I'm not going to get the ball. Mm-hmm. Ball's coming to me. So I'm letting the ball travel as deep as possible. Once I do that, I just feel like someone is right behind me on my back, pushing me outward, nothing up. So it's almost like a, it's kind of that, that nice 45 degree angle. So I'm not actually staying perfectly, you know, 90 degree low, that nice 45 degree angle kind of up and out while staying low in that, that momentum. So if I get, so ideally if it all is put together, if I'm gaining ground with momentum, my right foot's inside my left foot and I stay low, then everything else takes care of itself. For me how how far out ahead of you is your glove when you transfer i i, I was watch, i watched your old perfect game nationals video today <laughs> so it, it, it probably zero, probably zero, zero one seven five i mean that was freaking awesome for a showcase yeah i but the, uh, uh, it was probably it probably used to be a little bit farther out i've, I've always had the tendency of uh going and getting the ball like just mm-hmm. just the angst of wanting to throw like you try and I always go get the ball so one of my challenges is to make sure I'm letting the ball come to me while also having that energy and momentum outward um but I, I'd like I'd like to be as close as possible I'd almost exaggerate it in my work to be too close if it's too close like it's you're not going to catch a ball down in here in a game but like if I worked on that I think anywhere in just this nice window right in here. So I see, I see a lot of guys, and I think it's more of the location of the pitch on a, on a, a fastball that's arm side a little bit, where more guys I see right now are almost kind of just rolling their glove over and letting their body get around the side of it, kind of let your body move into the, into the transfer. Um, and then you got other guys that are, you know, kind of here. Um, when it hits their glove, they're getting their thumb up after it comes and they're rolling it so it, at least it's visible to I mean I always think about going into the armpit um, where it's there what what's kind of your your differences from arm side to to um, glove side I think glove side we can probably be a little bit more closer because all that is is a pulling motion across where the arm side has always been the it's always seemed like that's the hardest one especially the one down and away where you really have to focus on keeping your body you know, in line, you got to keep your hips underneath you. Yeah, we proud of, I, you know. we started working on that actually in spring training a little bit. One of the one of the first times I had, I heard someone mention it, uh, our bullpen catcher Griffin Benedict, another just great baseball mind. Um, he was challenging me to basically catch every pitch like this. So if a guy's going to steal, I'm going to catch a pitch like this. I'm going to try and do this. So that's how we would catch it here, right? So if it's right here on, 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 the, on the glove side, like we're just going here and, you know, like that's, that's pretty self-explanatory. I think everybody will catch that pitch like this. But what we do is when the pitch goes over here, we start turning our glove over because that's how we would receive it, right? So we started doing drills just in catch play. I tried to get him to throw pitches right on my right shoulder, and I would just try and catch it still with this, the glove at this angle, this kind of vertical uh, yep. angle, and, 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 and kind of just kind of – hit it into my glove that way. And the, I think the far, the more range of range I have 
of keeping my glove at that angle, um, the more consistent transfer I'm going to get because that's just, that's obviously you know clean transfer is arguably it's everything. You get a yep. great footwork, great arm, great everything. You can't get that ball out of your glove the same. I see a lot. I mean, some of the guys that you'll see that are over here and they'll catch the ball. Number one, I, I've never, I've never thought when a guy was stealing that we actually grabbed the ball. You know, it's it's how quick can I just use the force of the ball to rotate into my hand? But when you when you get those guys that are grabbing and they, they you know, they'll pull it, but the ball is still facing, you know, your, the back of your glove is still facing you. Guys get in trouble when they start to have to reach around, you know, because that's that's completely unnatural right here, where. The throws that I've seen you for the, the video footage online, everything is by the time it gets to your hand, whether your hand is here or back a little bit, somewhere in between, it's always showing to it. And I think that's sure. one of the hardest things with kids yeah. is they just catch it and then they're trying to grab it out of the glove in front of them. And by then they're, you know, everything's out of sync. Yeah. Whether, whether you're doing it this way or this way, like you're going to do it horizontally or vertically, I think that you definitely got to have that glove, that, that ball facing you at a certain point. Another thing I do with, with some of the eye training I do is watching the ball, watch the transfer, watch the transfer, mm -hmm. catch the ball and actually watch, like actually watch that thing happen. And it, and believe it or not, it, it really, it really does help clean up some transfer issues. Just trying to watch it happen. Watch that ball go from your mitt to your hand. Yep, that's one of the first things that I, when, when I work with the, the kids and we start off with our transfer uh, progressions, first thing I have them do is I have them just hold the glove in front. When the ball hits, as it hits, turn it to their eyes so they can see it and work it in their hand. But yeah, I mean, how many kids are, how many, how many guys you see that keep their eye off and get a ball, you know, arm side, a little up, and they're looking at the runner and all of a sudden planks off. And that's, I mean, that's, you get a ball to throw on, you're like, I'm going to throw someone out. When you, the worst feelings, you know, having the ball hit off the glove or you don't get the grip really? and it bounces out, that's when you look like an, just, just an idiot. You're like, God, Absolutely. I look stupid. <laughs> well, we want to save some bullets. Um, I know we're going to bring you back on here. Um, the last question I have for you, and I know that we, we very, I mean, we touched on it just briefly, but um, just want to hear your thoughts about, you know, again, the potential of an automated strike zone. And if there's any player say in all that, you know, we've, we've asked the question to some of the other guys, the other big league catchers that we've had on the show, but I just want to hear maybe your thoughts and then let, let the viewership know if, you know, do the players have some say in this? Because I think it's important that, you know, it, it holds true to all of us here. I mean, I think that there's a lot of skills that go into being able to receive a ball cleanly, being able to manipulate a pitch. Um, and it's a very, very, um, you know, important skill set to us as catchers. So what, what are your opinions on it? Yeah, it's a pretty strong one. It's pretty strong. And obviously before I get into it, like a hundred percent bias, like I cannot deny that. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, uh, the way I see it is I kind of describe sample size. So there's sample size in, uh, in the game. There's the, the three highest sample size in the game. There's pitches thrown, pitches called. They're going to be tied. Mm -hmm. The next thing, and it's not even close to any other one, is pitches received. Yep. So, and, they're, and, they're, and, there's, and, and now that they can 
have a statistic for it. It is now, so if pit, the reason pitching is the most important thing is because it happens the most, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, in hitting, you get a four, four opportunities. Like there's a reason, there's a reason pitching is the most important thing. And there's a reason catching is arguably the second most important thing defensively uh, because of that relationship with that pitcher. So if, receiving and calling pitches well we're just talking receiving i guess but if receiving is the has that high of a sample size and you're eliminating the second most important skill in baseball you're eliminating the second highest sample size of opportunities to impact the game every single time a ball touches your mitt you have the chance to impact a baseball game significantly every single pitch you know the big ones are obviously oh oh and one one or a or a strikeout, but every single pitch matters. Not just for the course of that game, but for the course of a season, a championship. So that's just the that's just that's that's just on on that side. And then then the other side is uh, is just is just changing the game that that ha- that that doesn't need to be changed. Like we've had we've had umpires since the 1800s, mm-hmm. and the game is beautiful the way it is, and. And the and, and like we were talking about before with with the with the heat maps with with the relationships with the umpires it's a part of the game, yeah. And there is a part of the game as anybody. Just like I mean, we saw what happened in the in the NFL with the they, they did the penalties for uh, pass interference and that lasted one year. You know, I would hate to see I'd hate to see them try and just not work. And that and that that that's just a weird. It'd almost be an asterisk season. It just it completely changes. It would completely change baseball, and I know how much. Um, but I, go ahead and leave the K zone thing on the TV because fans just like judging. You know, so they just like being able to judge for themselves if it's a if it's a strike or a ball, and that's just part of the game. They don't, you know, I don't think it'd be as interesting if you just knew if it was right or wrong because a robot said so. But it's it's but you get to appreciate more uh, what the umpire is doing and what the catcher is doing when you actually get that visual out there, and I think it's a great visual to show the impact that the umpire and the umpire has a huge impact on the game. Of course he does. He always has. And it's, it's, it's why we yell at them. Like, of course, like, because we care and it's, and it impacts the game. And I think the same thing, same thing with catching. So, I mean, that'd be my biggest argument. Um, like if it wasn't that important to the game, if it was just a, you know, a small little thing that, uh, that doesn't happen that often. Okay. But we're talking about other than throwing a baseball, the thing that happens the most. Right. So, um, and, and I think, and I think it's only going to become, uh, even better and better because it's, it's still such a new fad. Like the, like the art of receiving is still so new and people haven't, uh, heard about it enough to, to, to work on it enough to master it where I'd love to see the game. And in a handful of years where, you know, ev- all 30 big league catchers are just receiving the crap out of the ball and they're really, really impacting the game that way. And now that's a, now that's a thing. Like, it's a and, and I know how much it impacts the game. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's like a scouting tool or something like that that you have to go look for. Obviously, you look for how good their hands are and whatnot. But right. um, do, now, follow up again. Do you guys, does the player association say anything? I mean, this is on. This that would be a rule like that. There's, there's some, some of that stuff is confusing, but it would all come down to, uh, the way I the way I understand it would be the next collective bargaining agreement, which is after the twenty one season. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if the league wanted to propose something like that, um, they can propose it. They have certain rules where they're allowed to implement things um, after a certain amount of time. I don't fully understand that, but probably moving into the 20, after the 21 season, that CBA will be, um, if they really care about that that much, that would be something they would probably just mention. Um, but there would need to be, um, there would definitely be feedback because there's obviously pitchers that are for it and hitters that are for it and both that are against it. So um, I think some uh, to make a rule like that, it would have to be um, very supported by so many people that it would be a very helpful thing instead of just this random thing that let's just try because all the samples that I've seen in, in independent ball or whatever, just, it doesn't look good. No. <laughs> fun with, uh, with you and Zach. Um, you know, I, I always love pitchers always talk about how they're the best athletes on the team. Oh yeah. Well, we go way back. So it'll be, it'll be really fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I haven't, uh, I haven't got a chance to, to talk to him in a minute since obviously all this stuff has been happening. So I'm looking okay. forward to just catching up with him too. Yeah. It's going to be no holds barred, brother. We'll have a good yeah. time with it. <laughs> well, we appreciate your time today and, um, can't thank you enough. This is awesome. This is more and more depth that we could ever even ask for or imagine. So again, appreciate Austin. And um, we'll talk to you soon, I guess. Right. Absolutely. I'll look forward to uh, talking to you guys next week. All right. Sounds All right. good. That was a good. good workout, Have buddy. a good one, brother. All right, fellas. See ya. See ya. Take care. And that's a wrap on Eddie number five. A big, huge shout out to Austin for taking the time to discuss with us what makes him super successful in today's game. Again, let me ask you this. Is your hand tired yet? So stay tuned, everyone. Remember, please stay safe, stay tuned, and we'll catch you real soon. <laughs>